Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You're listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. Welcome, everyone. Thank you for listening. Thank you for taking the time. And uh, we all have a busy schedule. So the fact that you're listening to this podcast is it makes me happy. There's so many podcasts out there, Ryan. So many. Thanks, COVID. Yeah. <laughs> COVID hit and everybody, every celebrity decided to get a get a podcast. You had it first. We all know. Yeah, well, yeah, 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 you know, yeah. at least my the, the, my loyal listeners have stuck by me. Yeah. And I appreciate that. My lovely patrons, um, keep the show going. Patreon.com slash inside. If you want to become a patron, uh, there's tons of perks. I send you boxes of merch and little notes and there's tons of stuff. And go to the Inside of You online store if you like and get some cool merch, some Smallville stuff. There's ship keys signed, Lexmas script signed, all that. But more importantly, Ryan's breaking shit. Um, but uh, the Inside of You are handles, Ryan. What are they? At Inside of You Pod on Twitter, at Inside of You Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. That's right. So please uh, support the podcast, write a review, subscribe. Um, these things are really important. Keep the podcast going. If you're here for Jim Gaffigan, hopefully you'll like it enough to give it us another shot. It's more about talking to people, real people, real conversations conversations and uh, understanding human nature, mental health, all that, along with career and just real stuff. We try to keep it real here on this podcast. So um, also just a reminder that uh, Tom and I will be doing a lot of cons this year as of now. So make sure you look at our schedule or keep track at the Michael Rosenbaum on Instagram and at Michael Rosenbaum on Twitter because we'll, we'll be uh, posting um about different things we have uh whatchamacallit atlanta mm. march 4th and 5th we're doing a smallville night so if you're near atlanta you want to come see the show and some autographs and pictures and have a great time with us we'd love to have you and um my band uh sunspin go to sunspin.com for merch uh also sunspin on spotify or anywhere you hear your music our new album never is what it is is out there we're really proud of it i hope you, hopefully you'll give it a listen I really think you're going to like it. So let me know what you think. And we do a lot of performances at Stage It. So there's that, Ryan. What are you doing? You're busy. This, here. You're here. Did a lot of podcasts this week, both of them. Yeah, doing the Talkville podcast, mm -hmm. doing this podcast. It's, um, you know, it's funny. It's, there's a couple of my celebrity friends that are actually calling me about like, hey, could maybe we do a podcast under your umbrella? Like, uh, you know, like maybe I know, you know, a lot about it. I'm like, uh, I don't, I'll talk to Bryce about that stuff. <laughs> I, know, but I was thinking about it. It'd be kind of cool if like, you know, we sort of like started producing other podcasts on the side, hiring different people to do those things, mm -hmm. you know, um, and just, you know, help them sort of navigate and what you're supposed to do, what you can do, how you can get people to listen and you know, what makes it appealing and the equipment you need and the commitment you need. I think the number one thing people don't realize is the commitment. Mm -hmm. You, you, you're making a commitment not only to this project, but to your, to your listeners. You can't just go, Oh, I'll do one when I feel like it. No, they, they'll go away. Mm -hmm. They want somebody they could hear every week mm -hmm. that might give them a little insight into something and, um, or have good conversations. So I, I think that they don't realize there's a lot of work 
that goes with it. So, you know, a lot of these actors are like, you know, I'm doing a movie and this, and you know, I'm going to do a little podcast on the side. Well, you better commit to it because <laughs> listeners will not stick around if you don't. Um, so there you go. Great guest today. I know you love this guy. I like him. Um, he's, um, he's a, he's a great guy. He's a, he's a great conversation, great storyteller, great comedian. He's had a lot of specials. He's got this new movie, Linoleum, which I thought was really cool. And, you know, I said this in the interview to him, but he, there's something really interesting about him as a character. And when I watched him play this role, Cameron from this movie, the linoleum, I, I was, I was like really impressed. Like this, this is, I could definitely see him. I wouldn't be shocked. They're like, and a nomination for Academy award. Go, I mean, sometime down the line, because I think he has that ability and um, passion. He does a lot of things. And I think you're going to really enjoy this one. And uh, we talk about, about everything. So get your pants on. <laughs> Let's get inside of Jim Gaffigan. It's my point of view You're listening to Inside of You With Michael Rosenbaum Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum was not recorded in front of a live studio audience. This has been a long time coming, Mr. Gaffigan. Right? I mean, yeah, we both had that show on TV land with very similar uh, outcomes. Yeah. You left the show and I got canceled. So similar. Well, what I don't even know what is. Yeah, that was TV <laughs> land was going to. I mean, it was kind of stream like before they thought that it's like when Viacom thought they had a shot, right? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Oh my they, god! They were in complete denial. They're like, "We're Viacom. We had Nickelodeon and MTV. We can do anything." And then, <laughs> and then you know. yeah, it didn't work out. I remember they called me and they said, "Hey, we like your show. It just, we, it's not right for us." And I'm like, "What's well, the end of this? We just finished our second season. Are you just figuring that out now?" And, All right. Okay. Well, that's the way it rolls. Yeah. I mean, by the way, we're in a very. I mean, I don't want to sound naive, but it's. I mean, I feel like television or traditional television cable or whatever is in a weird place now too right mm -hmm. i mean, think about this the power that amc had oh yeah they were they were pushing out really quality shows and they were the walking dead and the they were like the hbo of yesteryear yeah mad men they had that um uh you know they just you know they everything they touched was gold and now it's like, but I don't know. Now, now I feel like this. I I really wish I understood it, but I'm not that interested. I just want to <laughs> like, I just want to act. So yeah. I'm kind of like, just when can I do that? <laughs> well, you huh? do that too much. I think I'm looking oh. at your stuff and I'm just like, holy, it's just like, I remember I was telling your publicist uh, that I remember we were doing like Carson Daly. 15 yeah, years yeah. ago and you were doing stand-up and i was a guest and i just remember i remember saying to you i go is anyone watching and you're like well yeah maybe and by the way if uh if one of those late night show if today's late night shows had the ratings that carson had then yeah they'd be huge now yeah because there's so many streaming platforms and it's great for but the, to me it's like i go to a I go to a restaurant. Tell me how you feel about this. I go to a restaurant and I like chicken steak. I like not, I don't want 
tons of stuff like a you know like the old uh what's the deli the famous deli green not green blatts the uh the, where the bowling alley was in studio city jerry's right, right. deli but they yeah. had this huge menu and it just confused me and so yeah. i feel like somebody's like, have you seen this show i'm like uh n- no have you have you seen this show it's on uh tulu tulu what the hell's tulu yeah. i don't i don't no, know what to watch yeah there is I, I mean, we are, I mean, this might not be interesting, but we are obviously paying for Apple plus or whatever. Yeah. And we have it on our, our, uh, on our screens. But like when I travel, I'm watching things on my iPad. I don't have Apple TV on my iPad. So when I watch shows, like I loved Fleischman's in Trouble, which is on some streaming platform that I have, but like I don't have I don't have Apple TV on my iPad, so I haven't seen Severance. And, I haven't either, and I haven't downloaded, and I haven't done the Paramount Plus. So like, there's certain things I haven't seen. Yeah, you know what I mean. There's a lot of things, so it's it's probably good for actors because there's more shows out there to audition for. But then you yeah. start thinking, well. What what's the platform I have the best chance of actually being seen on? Well, and by the way, which brings us back to the TV land thing. The problem <laughs> with TV land is at that point, I remember encountering this. People were like, I've never watched TV land, so I'm never going to go and find that channel. Right. Whereas it used to be. I think there was somebody that said that the reason that today's show was so successful initially is because people had watched the tonight show and they turned off their TV and when they turned it back on, it was on NBC. And so they were watching the today show. Right. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing. The like habit is a really important thing. Do you like it? Do you like all these options? Do you like all these streaming? How do you feel about it? No, I think I, I think I did a tweet where I was like, they should uh, gather all of the streaming platforms together and call them cable. You know what I mean? It's just because <laughs> there's so many. I, I usually go, I hear about something and I, I go, oh, I have to. So I subscribe. I watch yeah. the show and then I cancel. That's smart. That's the only thing I want to watch. It'll call me, cost me nine ninety nine. Um, look, you know what's crazy about this? I've I've known you for a long time. I think we've known each other. We've been in the same circle. I love Michael Ian Black. You put him in all your things, yeah. and um, uh, we're mutual friends with Jason Patrick. He's a very close friend of mine, which I'll, I'll talk in a minute. But I, I started like what because everybody I think knows you for the most part as being this hugely successful author and stand-up comedian. You know, that's what, you know, funny guy, he's this. And I started going through shit and my engineer here, Ryan, and I was just like, and I watched Linoleum and I was just, I was, my jaw dropped. I'm like, you know, he goes, maybe this is why they always say comedians are the best actors, dramatic actors. Because I I watched a trailer, which I now have to see of being Frank, which looks hilarious, but like Linoleum, I don't even recognize you. And it took me forever to go, is that, is he playing that guy too? No, he's got a different voice. He, he looks completely different. I was baffled by it. Oh, well, thanks. Yes. Well, you know, you know, this is the perception industry, right? And so I, you know, and I'm sure that like you were forever trying to like not be Lex Luthor, right? So you're, you know, the perception thing is there is uh so like look i like stand up comedy i mean i love stand up comedy i love comedy and all that but like for me it's about what's creatively fulfilling and so um 
the more complex a role, usually in an indie, usually in a drama, is more fulfilling acting. And so I'd rather do that than, you know, I mean, I'd have fun on a uh, working on a comedy, you know, but it's not as fulfilling probably as playing, uh, you know, a, a guy who believes in snake healing. You know, I did this movie, Them That Follow, that, you know, like that's, you know, like there's kind of the the minutia of dramatic roles that are it's uh it's more fulfilling i think yeah you know i mean comedy's fun but like uh and maybe because i get to do stand-up that i don't feel the need to kind of um go go into that thing but it's you know so i'm perceived as a comedian and then i've ever whenever i do a movie and then there's press afterwards it's it's always like people don't realize that I've been doing uh, dramas for a while because yeah. none of them are that successful. So it's like, but it's all right. It's, you know, there's got to be a narrative to everything. Yeah, right? I, th- I think they do. It's I said to Ryan, I said, there's no doubt I could totally see you getting nominated for an Oscar sometime. I, I, I just genuinely not because I'm not blowing smoke. It's just because I just don't when people see it, it's like you're you're just so different, which is great. The juxtaposition of seeing you doing comedy and being the funny guy and very personal and then playing this quirky character from a little place in Ohio and, you know, and look, linoleum is screening right now at the Palm Springs International Fest. It was in South by Southwest. It's won awards. Tony Shalhoub. The whole cast is great. Um, it's, it's, it's just what I was talking to your publicist again. I was like, you know, it's touching. It's mysterious. It's thought provoking. Uh, at the end, it brought me to tears for some reason because yeah. I, I don't want to yeah, s- no. say anything, but like the old man with the, you know, I don't want to give it away, but like huh. just the whole thing and then putting it together. I was like, did I get this right? Is this what I, this is what I, my interpretation was. And huh. she's like, yeah, that's, that's right. And I came, gave myself a pat on the back, but um, it, it deals with issues of identity and memory and achievement, but deals with hope as sad as it can be at times. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I just, I really, and I watched it this morning, dude, and getting me to watch yeah. anything yeah. I'm yeah. talking like, so I was like, I really urge people to go see linoleum when it comes out in selected theaters and whenever, do you have any idea when that's going to be or right now? We'll just post I that. I think shit. it's in, uh, end of February, right? But it is, it's, it's linoleum is unique in other things that I've, uh, from other things that I've worked with that. It is one of those movies that like the last 10 minutes, people, you know, people often cry Mm -hmm. because it's like you're caught off guard. But also it's one of, you know, creative people we love discussing and you don't want to agree with everyone. But like, it's great because it's one of those movies that presents questions and people take different things. Some people say it's about ambition. Some people say it's about memory. Some people say, I think it's like a love story. I think it's like, you know, we, we, we go through life and, and particularly creative people, I think we're like, you know, we're caught in like, okay, you know, I, if I can just get this job, if I can, if I can achieve this thing and, you know, and you and I, we both had some success and eventually you have to kind of evaluate what is the measure of success? Is it creative fulfillment? Is it obviously it's human relationships. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, so like if you're in a successful relationship and it doesn't even matter if that relationship ends, like that's pretty, that's in some ways, that's 
pretty fantastic, right? Like the ups and downs and the the uh, the grief of of that relationship is really a major accomplishment. I don't know. It's weird because you don't want to give anything away. Right. But people have different takeaways. And some people think it's about, you know, parental and kid relationships and what our parents expect from us. But I love how the character of Cameron, he has this dream that is, you know, really for like actors and creative people, you know, he wants to be an astronaut, but like being an, wanting to be an actor or a comedian is not that far off from being an astronaut. Like people think you're crazy. Yeah. You're like, I want to be an astronaut, you, you know, saying I want to be an actor. You know, aren't you, are you from Indiana? <laughs> I, I was going to say you're from it. Yeah. You grew up in it. You were born in Illinois. You grew up in Indiana. I, I grew up in Indiana from the ages of eight on. So yeah. Yes, and I always used to watch. I, I never was able to go out. I wasn't popular, so I used to watch SNL, and I used to memorize all the sketch sketches and and share them with my family. So I know that's what you did growing up in Indiana too. Yeah, and so like if you're from, uh, you know, if you're in Indiana, and you know, um, it's changed, you know. But like when I was growing up, if I told people I wanted to be an actor, mm -hmm. be like, "Are you out of your mind?" Oh yeah, it would be the equivalent of saying, "I want to be an astronaut." Yeah, so. Um, and, but I love movies that ask, uh, that have, that leave you with some questions, you know what I mean? And, and I loved acting in, uh, uh, you know, a movie where you don't want to tip anything. Mm -hmm. You don't want, you know how, you know, you read the script, but you're like, we want to play long ball. You know what I mean? And it was so great working with, with uh, Ray Seahorn because we knew where it was going. But we also, out of respect for their relationship, we didn't want, you know, even though they're going through a, a relationship crisis, we didn't want it to be where they, uh, you know, like the comedic thing would just be like, they hate each other, but they don't. Do you know what I mean? Right. It's, it's always it playing the opposite. It's always playing against that. Like they always say, if... You have to cry in the scene. Well, humans, as humans, we try to do everything we can not to cry. Yeah. So it's not show, tipping the hat. That's you're exactly right. It's it's far more interesting and yeah. believable, and there's a better payoff when you don't. And that's also hard. It's got to be you know the actors have to know that, but also the direction. Colin, Colin, yeah. Colin West, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I just I really thoroughly enjoyed it. I really want people to see Linoleum because it's. And not only just see you, I, I really thought like the casting, everything from the daughter to the boyfriend, to the, to the, you know, the, the other character that you played to the old man, I couldn't, in a way, I think he steals the show without all, almost saying anything. His eyes, yeah, those eyes yeah. are just, I want to cry every time I look at him. It's just this sweet man and this, this history of what he wanted in life and the things that he loved and his memory. And I'm not going to, we're giving it away. God, they were tipping our hats. No, no. Well, it's like, also, how about Tony Shalhoub? Oh my I God. Mean, yeah. Tony Shalhoub. It's like when you see him in the first scene and then the second scene, you're like, oh my God. And that's where, <laughs> I mean, I'm sure, you know, you know, as an actor, like there's these people you work with and I, I did this indie. There's so many moments where I think, all right, I'm going to break through. Like there's going to be this conveyor belt. I'll get led into this room and I'll just get be handed acting roles. And, <laughs> and this was like 2004. And I did this movie with 
Tony where he played um, a work psychiatrist and he was so amazing. And I remember thinking, oh man, if I could work with people like Tony Shalhoub again, but like, I don't know if, I, I don't know if you've ever worked with him, No. but he's one of those, like when he, he does this yes, kind of thing, and you're uncomfortable. He, he, yeah. Like, he thinks of every single moment. <laughs> Inside of You is brought to you by Rocket Money. I love Rocket Money. You know why? Because everyone should have Rocket Money because it just helps you save money. How many times do we have subscriptions that we don't even know we have anymore and we're paying so much money? It's just throwing away money, Ryan. I, I found one. You And you did it. You told I me. I got Rocket Money. <laughs> I, I found one. It. I'm embarrassed to say how long it's been going on, but thank you for finding it. <laughs> My God. It was embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, because it's like you want to watch some show and you go, oh, I have to subscribe to this uh, this streaming, dev- uh, whatever. Mm-hmm. And you you start streaming the show, you watch it, you leave, and you forget after this trial period it kicks in and it's they're charging terrible. you 10 bucks a month. It's, it is embarrassing. Ugh. You know, 75% of people have subscriptions they've forgotten about. Before I started using Rocket Money, I thought I had, you know, like, oh, I have like five subscriptions. I could not believe it when they showed me I was paying for like four extra uh, between, you know, streaming advices and fitness apps, delivery services. It's never ending. And thanks to Rocket Money, I'm no longer wasting money on the ones I forgot about. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Rocket Money will even try to negotiate lowering your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is submit a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. They'll deal with the customer service for you. I like that. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash inside. That's rocketmoney.com slash inside. Rocketmoney.com slash inside. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I don't know how many times I have to talk about this, but it's so important. If you're sitting there right now and you're stressed or you're anxious or you have a lot on your mind and you just bottle it up and you don't know what to do, it's going to come out and it's not going to come out in great ways all the time. Um, BetterHelp has helped me substantially. Ryan here has been using it for a while. And I, you know, don't you notice when you don't use BetterHelp? When you don't have therapy? Oh, the weeks where I miss a session? Of course, yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's like the more you talk about something, even if you don't think you have anything to talk about, things come up and it puts your mind at ease. And we all carry around different stressors, you know, big and small. And at times we keep carrying them around rather than processing them and letting them go. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. Therapy from BetterHelp is helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. It's for all of us. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. I think people think, oh, what if I don't like my therapist? If you don't, you switch them. It's that easy. 
Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com inside today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash inside. And it, you didn't play that over, over the top. Like I was waiting for you to push it too much. Like it could become really comedic, but you, he's like reaching his finger to you and you're a little uncomfortable. Like, uh, I don't want to be yeah. touched without yeah. saying it. It was just enough. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's fun, but I love, I mean, I just, I, I just want, I want an opportunity to do more types of, um, to do more types of roles like linoleum. Yeah. Like they, I want to. I don't, you know, it's like, we've also kicked around for a while. I also, I love the fact that I, you know, when we had those shows on TV land, when I, I, it was so important for me to have an opportunity to be the executive producer. And my wife and I wrote all these things. It was so important for me to have that experience because now I know exactly when you're like an EP and you have to deal with some of the headaches, it's so important to be that good soldier, mm-hmm. to be the uh, person that you want to, you know, because as you know, in the acting world, there's people that are like good people, but they're a pain in the ass. Oh, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like our friends, we have friends <laughs> that we like every time oh. you work with them, you're like, really, this is how you're going to behave? Do you know what I mean? And so, like, you want to be the partner. You know, I describe it as the good soldier. Absolutely. You know, the one that pitches an idea, you know, comes with ideas. But, like, if they don't take the idea, it's not the end of the world. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's that, it's like you're, um, it's like, it's like these film sets are like, you're on a kibbutz. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. You want to be on the kibbutz. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Maybe because I can do the stand-up where I have absolute control over everything that I do relish these opportunities to be on the kibbutz. Yeah. And there's know? more of a respect, I think too, when you become, I think it's, it's learned. It's not something that you just are born with. I think through experience, you realize people want to be around people that are malleable, that are just a cooperative, that will listen to other ideas that aren't so egocentric. And I think there's a lot that, um, that comes with that, but you know, I've definitely learned like being an EP means it's not about just your idea. You know, you have got to listen to other people's ideas and sometimes give in and not be a pain in the ass and sort of know when to say, you know, um, I do want to, I want to get into a little bit of your life because we talk a lot about mental health on this show and like dealing with life and death and, 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 and anxiety and depression and things that I've dealt with and other guests have dealt with. And, um, but before that, you know, Jason Patrick, who we all love, great actor. When I said, you worked with Jim, say, give me something. Yeah, and he said when we did that champion season, uh, championship season on Broadway, that his father, late father Jason Miller, wrote. Yeah. You yeah. and Jason had a pre-show routine. Ask him yeah. what it was. Oh, that's so funny. Well, it was to take. Uh, I mean, Jason Patrick. Let me set this up to people that don't know. You know, all right. So I'm in my fifties. Are you in your fifties? Fifty. Yeah. Yeah. There is something about. Um, there's a last vestige of guys in their 50s. And let me see if I can articulate this. That are liberal, open-minded, but they also have kind of this rat. They have the last remnants of the rat pack and of like guyish stuff and kind of um, 
But we, you know, like you have to understand that championship season, which was my first play, not even my first Broadway play. It was my first play that, um, and it was, it was a play that I had read. I I was pretty much self-educated. I studied finance in college and then I graduated and I essentially started to read. I mean, I had a minor in English, but I, I educated myself on theater and, you know, I studied Meisner and all that, but and I love that championship season. And it really is this analysis of masculinity and, and the 70s and and kind of race and kind of, I mean, it's a really important play. Yeah. Um, and um, and it was, but our ritual to answer the question is before the, before we would do the play, we would have a shot of Jameson, <laughs> which is such a Jason Patrick thing. <laughs> And I remember thinking, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. But like, if you've seen the play or you read the play, there is like this, there's this, and you know, like it's been confused because there's a toxic masculinity that we're dealing with today. But there is also something about this masculine, because by the way, in that play was Jason Patrick, Kiefer Sutherland, Sutherland, Brian Cox. Jesus. Chris Noth and me. So I was the biggest pussy of all. Of them. <laughs> and by the way, I was a college athlete. You know what I mean? So it's like, and, and these guys had all achieved incredible success. Now I would say that Brian Cox is probably more famous now yes. than he was then, but he was, I think he, he had won an Olivia award yeah. by the well time. Regarded. Well regarded. Yeah. And so it was so interesting because um there was uh there was five egos an incredible play the playwright's son was in the play yeah it was on broadway and when we would go out and we would start the play you have to understand this is after 24 was so like 24 was still in people's memory and Kiefer Sutherland was the biggest star it was packed, packed, packed you crowds, know, packed crowds. Yeah, packed crowds. It was also when uh, Chris Noth, Mr. Big was still, I mean, gigantic. And I would say after every single play, every single night, we went out for a drink. And often it would end up being a mess. So we drank like we were in college. We drank like those guys drank in the play every night. <laughs> so some of it is like anyone. I mean, it's, it's great, but it's also one of those things where people may not realize this. It's like, you know, actors find the character within themselves, but they, there's a morphing into you become some of that character and the community becomes that character, mm-hmm. uh, becomes their characters. And it was uh, it, it was so interesting because there's also something of I don't think that, you know, it was the beginning, you know, it was, I guess, 11 years ago um, because I have a son because my wife was pregnant every and, and came to every performance, too. During that, when it was the beginning of, um, you know, there's been different ways of political correctness, but like there is like the N word said, said in this play, all these things, but like the audience was fine with it, but the critical even though this play had won the Pulitzer Prize, um, it was shocking. So it was shocking in that people couldn't get beyond some of the language. Uh. 
And so it was, we were so knee deep in it in understanding that um, this was the language that was used in small town Pennsylvania. The, the you know, the anti-Semitic references, it was, it was used, it was much more of a reflection of their insecurities than being uh portraying them as racist or anti-Semitic. But I think that the audience and the audience today would not be able to separate that. Right. Do you know what I'm yeah, saying? I do. So it's, I do. it's, it's really interesting. And uh, it was so fascinating because you think of like the, the, the stardom that these guys had tasted. Oh yeah. And the stardom that, and the theme that brought people to the odd brought people to the show. I think that it was almost a disservice to the play. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, that's my two cents. Yeah. You know, yeah, I, I understand that. Um, I know, you know, he was very close, obviously, because his father had written it and, you know, it was yeah. an award-winning play and it was just like, I mean, there were expectations. And of course, when those expectations don't aren't met, it's sort of like anything less than, you know, is a, is a, it can, it considered a failure. But I think that it was great as from what I heard and it was just short-lived. If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Macy's, Adidas, Walmart, Nike, Wine.com, Samsung, Lenovo, Sephora, and more and even stack sales on top of cash back. It's easy to use, and you get your cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know, Jason also said briefly that you and your wife, Jeannie, were two of the biggest supporters in winning his son, Gus, back. You headlined a Stand Up for Gus uh, event that raised awareness and, and really started the movement to get his son back deep spiritual support and that they love Gus and that he loves you. That's that's all I'll say. Yeah. No, I mean, it is. I mean, you know, you know, there's so many, uh, you know, parental alienation. And by the way, at that benefit, there were a lot of people there of different you know, there's people that, you know, they get divorced and they enter a same sex relationship. And the other parent is like, then you're out. You know what I mean? It's the parental alienation thing. It it mainly affects fathers, but it can affect everyone. Right. And 
it is to witness your friend going through this and to see the cruelty of it. Oh my God. Is, uh, is pretty staggering. So Jason is really, uh, and his relationship with his son is a miracle, but it's, you know, it's like, it's a crisis on, you know, unlike being the victim of war or like a physical assault yeah he's devastating he you know pretty much lost everything to get his son back he gambled everything and gave away it all for his son yes yes and he and by the way the jason i know today versus the jason then i mean when we say he gave up everything you you it's not just monetary it's i mean jason patrick was the type of person who if he was working on a project and he didn't believe in the art of it he would bail and now he's in a position where he's working on projects that he would probably yell at someone for pitching the idea (laughs) absolutely you know what i mean absolutely that is the journey and i think that is actually the beauty of the humility of being a parent is that you go through hell i mean jason went through a different type of hell but you go through a process that uh is so it's and i understand why people don't have kids <laughs> you know what i mean it's just like it's you know it's also but like look why go into a relationship why fall in love when someone's gonna get their feelings hurt people are gonna die you know it's like but you gotta you gotta live a full rich life yeah that's true i'm still working on that i'm still single i live alone i have a dog jim i'll figure it out but this is not about me it's about you what was it's a journey it's a journey what was childhood like for you i mean did you did you come from a uh, a good family were you uh were you happy as a kid i know that at five you said i want to be an actor but yeah. like, uh, what was it like growing up as a as a little Jim? It was, I mean, I can tell, uh, you know, the long story, the short story. You know what I mean? It's, I was the youngest of six kids. My father was the first one in his family to go to college. We were many generations uh, coal miners, um, you know, uh, uh, I would say, alcoholism and depressions kind of littered throughout uh my family um but i was raised to to seek security and um security was uh uh wearing a coat and tie to work and so i was a pretty compliant kid like i thought okay i'll do that you know this is what you're supposed to do i'll study finance and i hated it Right. But I thought once I got paid, I'll like it. And then um, (laughs) so I think that I was, uh, you know, you know, I played sports, but I think I did it because my brothers did it. You know what I mean? I think that I really didn't kind of figure out or ask myself what I wanted to be until my very early 20s. Um, you know, it was, I was my, I had a job as a litigation consultant in Tampa. And I remember I had a little micro cause I had written an episode of Miami vice. I was really, um, I, I, you know, I, I didn't sell it or anything, but I I wrote it. (laughs) Oh, okay. All right. And so I, um, but I always had dreams but I didn't know, even when I was five, I didn't know anyone in the entertainment industry. Like I, in my town, there was, you know, the marching band, 
but I didn't know. Uh, like, were you? You were in Indy, right? I, I was in a small town in southern Indiana, Newburgh near Evansville, which was borderline almost Henderson, Kentucky. Oh my God! Wow, yeah. that is yes, that's down there. Yeah, and so like I always thought, because like there was no newscaster. Northwest Indiana is very much um, the stepchild to Chicago. Um, and Indiana in itself has a very strange identity, as you know. And so, um, but I think all those things made me who I am. You know what I mean? I was born in, uh, in Illinois, moved to kind of Rust Belt, uh, Indiana, then eventually moved to kind of more on the edge of Rust Belt and farmland. So there is something where I I feel familiar in white suburbs, kind of ethnic uh, Rust Belt and farmland things. Yeah. But like when I was a kid, I wanted to be a farmer. Wow. You know? Were you popular? Were you? I was, I mean, I think that I, I mean, middle school was a disaster. Uh, We had moved. Right. And it was, I went, I, but high school, I went to a very small high school. So I got very lucky. Um, and, but I played sports. I was a decent athlete, but I mean, incredible anxiety. Like I now know, cause I have kids now, you know, uh, you know, definitely some huge anxiety, some undiagnosed learning disabilities, but an incredible drive. I was also Kind of a goofy looking kid. I was the whitest kid in an all white community. Nothing compared to the African-American experience, obviously. But like I was definitely an outsider. I was always an outsider. Yeah. Um, What kind of anxiety? Like how was it just could could you not function? Was it hard? Was it always was it just always present? It was um, in middle school. I if I talked in middle school, I would blush and turn bright red enough where the teacher would point it out and say, I remember I had a teacher point it out and she goes, see how his face is red in anyone else. That would be an indication that he uh, is sick or having a seizure. What? You know, like, so like, yeah, I mean, it was, you know, like there was definitely some bullying that happened from kids or adults, but I think I also like, that's when I kind of latched on to comedy mm-hmm. was when we moved uh, then. Um, but I had an older brother who was pretty good at sports. So I, I kind of hung in on sports, but I would say, you know, the reason I started doing stand up when I moved to New York, I got a job in advertising as an account guy and the guy who uh, and in those settings, I would get really nervous and flustered when I would speak. And so someone suggested I take improv. And so I took improv to deal with some of this public speaking anxiety. And then um, someone dared me to do stand up. I always wanted to do it. But again, I didn't know anyone that did it. And I didn't think it was a realistic thing. And so then when I finally, um, then I took kind of like a stand up seminar, it was just, you know, um, and I fell in love with it. But like, I had stage fright issues, I would say for the first 10 years of my career. Like terrified. I'm yeah. I know. I know what that's like. Is is it something that you eventually got on pills to help you meds, or was it something that you just eventually grew out of and just forced your way out of anxiety, or how did you do it? I think some of it was. uh, I I think some of it was just sheer experience. 
of doing forcing myself to go on stage but i think some of it was i grew out of it i don't think that i think I, it would have helped if i had medication <laughs> you know it would have helped a lot but um and then i also i think i did a lot of uh you know therapy i was in group therapy in my 20s and i did some work on my stuff you know my mother died in my early 20s so like that's really what prompted me to not just be compliant and do what I was told to do. Right. It's like when she died, the injustice of her death, she was 53. I was like, well, then, you know, I don't know what I'm, you know, supposed to do. So that's when I started, um, you know, I, I did the improv class. Then I started doing stand up and I would do stand up. Uh, and then I did acting classes after work and stand up after that. And that was uh, this. Uh, and I did that for like four or five years. I mean, I was definitely I kept my day job for a long time, but I definitely resigned myself to be uh, the uncle that lives in a tiny apartment because I had no success whatsoever. I, I thought that I was good but all my peers all my friends were they were getting sets on conan or letterman and i was not like they would just leave the room when i would go on because they had seen me when i was really bad so they were like he's not good so so did you want to quit were there moments were there moments you wanted to quit i didn't want to quit i just i had to come to the realization that i was not gonna have a normal success What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. Like I was not going to have monetary success, but I was going to. So I or acknowledgement of my peer group. So I was like, all right, I'm just going to be this weird guy who does stand up. Like I would do stand up at like poetry readings and stuff like that. I was like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be I'm going to have a day job and I'm going to do stand up at night. That's that's not the end of the world or I'm. And so um you know, once I became comfortable with, I was like, and it's weird because I feel like when I got to, um, you know, like the big lie, uh, you know, like there's so many moments in my career where I feel like it's that scene in the wizard of Oz, where I think, you know, you see behind the curtain and it's like, Oh, this is, this is bullshit. You know what I mean? Like, so like when I finally got on Letterman and, you know, being a, a guy from Indiana, oh, it yeah. was a huge deal. He was a big influence comedically that I remember and my brother was there and uh, I remember thinking, well, what do I do now? Like it wasn't like my all this ambition. And then I adjusted in learning that it was about fulfillment, but then I didn't have anything else in my life. Right. And so the ambition kind of so there's always I mean, that's even kind of goes. So like that lesson of seeking creative fulfillment, as corny as it sounds, is really an important thing for me. So even when I'm 
working on an indie that like when we were doing linoleum, we don't even know if we we're going to be able to finish it. But I was like, it's fun to play this character, right? That's more fulfilling than being in a big, broad comedy where it's fun to do it, but it's, there's not, it's not that fulfilling. Does that make sense? Yeah. You like to be challenged. You like to be in the moment. You like to, I mean, it just sounds like, you know, I've asked this question, but like some people, when I ask them, do you just love acting? What would you do without acting? And they're like, oh no, no, that's all I want to do. That's all I love. And some people want to do it because they want fame or they just do it for money. And I obviously watching you, you could see that you do it because you were already making a lot of money and you were still doing these little indie movies and still are because you love the craft. You love pushing yourself. And especially, you know, so that that's what I see. Yeah. And by the way, I mean, there is something and actors all there, there's something about, um, I remember making fun because I've always done, um, I've always done indies and uh, or I've aspired to get in them. It's and I remember the first couple ones I worked on, there were these guys, um, you know, a man and a woman. And they would talk about they're like the big thing is like they're like, I was just I just wanted to do community theater. I just that's all I wanted to do was community. And I'm like, I don't want to be dishonest here. It's like, <laughs> I mean, some of it is I have a family, so I can't really do community theater. But like I also like that indies, there's a beginning and an end. Do you know what I mean? Like, I love, um, you know, I love uh, doing interesting roles, but I also, I mean, I like the fact that this is uh, Linoleum's went to South by Southwest and I've had other films at Sundance. I'm not, you know, like there is some ego in that, but like some of it is there is something about the fulfillment of a role, but I don't, I'm not saying like, you know what, I just need to be in, you know, rural Michigan doing uh Shakespeare. Like, I'm not saying that. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, I know. I want to be on. Yeah. I, I yeah. say the same thing. I say, look, I want to do this. Yeah. How much they pay me. <laughs> I'd yeah, like to know no, how much they're like, paying me. Is there money yeah. involved? Can we, can we make, I'd like to pay for my home, my mortgage, my mother, <laughs> right? For Christ's sakes. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever, um, how do you deal with rejection? How, what's the, and also what's the lowest you've been? You remember a time period where you hit the lowest and how did you deal with that? Oh my gosh. There's been, I mean, I've had some pretty humiliating moments. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, rejection is, there is a, uh, there's so much rejection in the entertainment industry. It's you either develop calluses or, I mean, there is a psychological impact uh, that I think that people might not realize. Like, I have a good friend of mine uh, who passed away and he was he he went to an Ivy League school. He went to an Ivy League law school. He is uh, he got a scholarship to a special high school. He was a home run hitter and after and he did stand up and he had a tv show and he had all this success but the reality is is with all that success that he had had through his life the amount of rejection that he dealt with after you know like the show was canceled the agent dumped him you know all this stuff i don't think he could process it and he eventually got into drugs and he died and the reason i bring that up is that you know, it's not an appetite for failure or humiliation, but you have to have 
it's a pretty tall task. These uh, these uh, these creative people that are paid to take things personally, to respond emotionally and authentically, they also have to process all this humiliation. So when someone, uh, you know, like Kanye West is a bad example, but when some actor loses their shit, I'm like, yeah, that's what they're supposed to do. You know what I mean? But so it's that maturity of dealing with loss and uh, disappointment that makes someone exceptional. You know, like Tom Hanks seems like a pretty amazing guy, but there's also how he's processed the humiliation we haven't seen is really impressive, right? Yeah. And so, but yeah, I would say the lowest point, I mean, I remember there was, <laughs> there was a point where, so in the comedy club world, again, this is when I was like, all my friends were, uh, you know, getting on uh, Conan, getting these measuring points that uh, seem to exist in the stand-up world. And I was getting nothing. And I was not working at some fan uh, at the preeminent club because I was a low energy kind of uh, observational guy that like did not kind of uh, stylistically, the irreverence wasn't appealing. It wasn't working at one in the morning. Right. So I would work. I worked at this club. I think it's gone. Dangerfields. Yeah. And I would do a half hour set and it was brutal. It was a total tourist trap. They used to just get people in there. They'd overcharge them and people would be angry. And so it would be sometimes you'd be performing for 10 people in this huge room. And it's kind of hard to understand now, but they're so like sometimes the audience would be angry. So you deal with these hecklers. And so I dealt with this heckler. Um, and it was probably a party of five and I was doing commercials, but I was again, stand up uh, and acting. I wasn't getting at real acting roles when I wasn't getting stand up. And I dealt with these hecklers. The waiters were rude. The bartender was nice, but there was just this one waiter that was kind of a jerk. And I dealt with these hecklers and they walked out and then I got off stage and the waiter's like, they walked out on their check. You have to pay their check. And I was kind of in like, so then I had to pay for these people that were total jerks to me. I had to pay for their tab. And I remember thinking, this is like a level of humiliation that, I mean, it was on top of all this other stuff that had been, you know, just, I couldn't get an agent. I was making this agency tons of money in commercials, but I couldn't get an agent. And I didn't know that I could have left and gone to another agency and said, hey, I want to get, you know, some of it is, but it just looked very dark. And I was like, what am I doing? And I remember that was a pretty low point when I was just taking the subway home. It was just humiliation. Like I'm literally losing money after doing this for eight years. You know what I mean? So yeah. There was definitely those low points. You could have easily you know? walked away. A lot of people would have said, okay, enough's enough. I'm going to like think about my dad. I'm going to get a suit and tie. I'm going to go get a job. I'm not going to do yeah. this anymore. I'm not going to suffer. I remember yeah. those walks too. I remember, I remember those walks thinking, remember this walk, <laughs> you know, yeah. while you're walking and you're just staring at a light for five minutes and you're just yeah. like, not really there, but you're there. It's almost this numbing feeling of, what am I doing? What am I going to do? I'm, it's scary. I don't, you know, it's, uh, yeah. 
Yeah, we know like insanity is repeatedly doing something and expecting a different outcome. Right. 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 Like you're doing that. Faced with the reality of, oh, I'm insane. So (laughs) that was, you know, I definitely, I mean, everyone in my family thought I was crazy, but like, I was like, now I'm like, oh, I am crazy. You know what I mean? It's, and it was also, you know, I was very driven. It was not, I was kind of, you know, you work hard, you get results. None of that was showing. And by the way, that is not, you know, understanding the entertainment industry is, is really a pointless adventure, right? Because it's, it's fluid, you know, like even like when Kanye says these horrible things about the entertainment industry, it's like, there's no grand conspiracy. Do you know what I mean? It's just unfair. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's just yeah. people doing, there's no one out to get anyone. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> when was the moment you said, holy shit, was it, was it the Letterman finally being on Letterman? Was it? you know, your first special, was it your first book? You know, what was the, yeah. what was that moment where you thought you fucking did it, Jim, you fucking went against the grain. You did it your own way. Here you are. And you said, Hey, and you could appreciate what you had done and really um, kind of just said, nice job. I mean, there was uh there was a couple moments. It's, I mean, Letterman was like, I remember thinking, okay, I can, cause you know, in that era, and and as an actor or a comedian, when you would tell people you're an actor or a comedian, they'd be like, have you been on anything? <laughs> and if you had nothing to say, they would look at you like, oh. And so I knew once I did Letterman, I had won that argument. Yeah. So I was a real comedian. That That was a measuring stick. There was my personal measuring stick and the measuring stick that I encountered. Like people used to be like, you should go on the tonight show. It's like, it's not like I haven't thought. right? (laughs) But I would say that there's moments where, I mean, I'm sure it's the same for you. Like there's moments where I also, I don't, whenever you think you got to figure it out, you don't, you know what I mean? It's, so, but I would say that there are moments where I'm like, oh, wow, this is nice. Like for me, I felt like, you know, I mean, I even feel like when Dave Attell told me he thought I was funny, like that's a huge thing. That was a long you know, time ago I, too, wasn't it? Yeah. And then like doing Dr. Katz, I was like, oh, that's actually a show I want to watch. Yeah. And, but I think there was also, um, you know, when, I was, it's so funny. Cause like I, uh, I was doing stand up and I had had different managers and, um, you know, like there's no rules for like managing a career. I remember I was talking to Ed Helms about this. He's like, there's no internship on how to deal with like, Oh, you're, you're, and it's not about money. It's about like, Oh, here's what you should do. Cause there's no, no one's had the exact same experience, but there's there's a moment where um, I remember I was touring doing stand up again. I had a lot of, uh, you know, I had done Welcome to New York. I had done the Ellen show. I had, you know, like the acting, the stand, the sitcom acting thing 
it's it's weird because like the again it's like what happens in my life i feel like this is a therapy session what it, happens it is. in my what what happens in my life is i have to learn things over and over again and so the one of the things i constantly fall into the trap of is getting caught up in other people's expectations yeah so in my parents expectations nothing malicious but they're like success is wearing a coat and tie so i spent up until my 20s success is wearing a coat and tie i'm gonna do that i'm gonna wear a coat and tie that's how you get happy right and so the whole thing is is when i did letterman and then i got welcome to new york and then i got on ellen uh the ellen second show i was doing the sitcom route. And then I was on that 70 show and Ed, I did, I reoccurred on Ed. And I remember thinking like, even, you know, that 70 show was so big at the time, but I remember thinking, well, this isn't that fun. Like I've had like, you know, hear me out. So it's like the four camera sitcom experience was not that fun from an acting. Like I had other acting experiences Mm -hmm. in indies or in other things where I was like, why is the the acting on sitcoms, why isn't that as fun as the other thing? But so then I was like, oh, it's television. I I, I don't want to do television. So then I was like, I'm not doing television. And so then I did that championship season and I thought I learned, um, and and some of it was Kiefer was like, you need to be in charge of your own show. That's the thing. And so then my wife and I did the Jim Gaffigan show. And it was it was great. It's a lot of work, like an enormous amount of work. And so I said, all right, what I like is acting, but I like dealing with complex characters where I like being part of a team. I don't want to be in charge of the team. I want to be... I want to, uh, you know, like the whole director or executive producer thing. That's a lot. I mean, I don't have the energy for that. Yeah. And so, but I like being a partner. And so I eventually learned, oh yeah, it's these, these indies, the films, they have a beginning and an end. There's a collaborative thing. You know, the smaller they are, the, the more community it is, you know what I mean? And that you're all kind of there for the right reasons. And so, um, but like other people's expectations, that's where I keep getting, that's where I fall down. It's like, oh yeah, you know, you should want to be in a Marvel movie. I'm like, should I, should I, maybe I should, do I want to be in a Marvel? And it's, and by the way, there's, I don't have anything against those movies, but I do know that doing linoleum or American dreamer or some of these other indies, it is fun. You know what I mean? I think because it's more I challenging. How, I don't even know how I started on this. It's Sorry. all right. We'll cut it all out. No, I'm kidding. It was, it was great. It <laughs> makes perfect sense. Listen, this is called Shit Talking with Jim Gaffigan. Uh, these are my top tier <laughs> patrons that get to ask. It's rapid fire. You just a- ask to answer the questions. You have a lot of insight. I like this. It's digging in, kind of seeing what makes you tick and how you've... I like yeah. the journey. I love this shit. This is what the, the, the listeners like. Miss Kayla Sue, what has been your biggest help balancing a successful career, marriage, and five kids, and being a producing partner with your wife, which most people would probably be divorced if they were producing and writing partners? Yeah. Well, what I would say is that, uh, you know, the joke is that I do it very poorly, but I would say that it's a constant evaluation and 
it's, um, you know, it's like you, you also have to understand it's like my wife is, was kind of is my writing partner. Right. So, but like when she has a brain tumor or she's writing a book or we're dealing with essentially five kids that are like teenagers, it's like how much writing should even be the priority. You know what I mean? Or should I, you know, uh, uh, relish the access that I get to her that I do? Um, but it is, I would say the answer to that, it's a constant evaluation every three months. I mean, it's ongoing where my wife's like, you know, every script I, uh, you know, she reads everything that I'm going to do. And she'll be like, this is not worth it. This is not worth it. And I'll be like, all right. You know what I mean? It's yeah. It's a partnership, and she's usually right. You you don't yeah you don't seem like someone. It's always good to have someone like that in your life, whether it's a friend, your wife, someone who can say "fuck off," Jim. Someone who could say, "Jim, this is not what you want to do." Jim, just be that voice of reason. Because if not, we're like again, we listen. We want to fulfill our agents' expectations and make them happy. Okay, okay, you tend to do that. That's what we do. We want to make people happy. Um, I don't ever see you as someone who snaps. Are you someone that can really be scary when you do snap? Can you just be like intense and be like, no, we're not doing that. Oh yeah. No, I can be a dick. You can be a dick. Yeah, Yeah, totally. No, I mean, I, um, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's, you know, there's, uh, there's the, I mean, I almost want to go back to the, the, you know, to the previous question, because like, here, let me ask you, let me answer it this way. Okay. What you have to understand is also when my wife had her brain tumor, there was an expectation that I was done with touring. I was done with acting my life. You know, I was going to be the single father of five children. I wasn't going to outsource it. So when she made it through, there was Oh my gosh, I can do this. A greater appreciation for stand up and acting. But the answer is still the same. It's still every three months or every project. Is this worth um, being away? You know what I mean? Yeah. Or, or um, that's what, like even shows in LA, I've never done, I, you know, I turned down all shows like TV shows in LA. And, you know, I know you've spent time in Vancouver. I did Peter Pan in Vancouver for four months during the pandemic where I couldn't leave. And so like, but that's Disney. And my wife was like, yeah, that's Disney. You're going to do that. (laughs) But like, would I go up there and do a show for four months? I don't know. I don't think I would. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, little Lisa, what's your most prized possession and why? That's a tough question. I don't know how you answer that one. Yeah, that's that's really hard. Prized possession. I don't know. I mean, I he, think yeah. um, I I just feel so grateful that um, that I have different creative outlets because I love acting. But if I relied solely on acting for creative fulfillment, I would lose my mind because you don't get to do it enough, and you're beholden. To again, it's not malicious. Too many factors. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're like, I want that role. No, no, you don't get it. Whereas in stand up, I can write something, try it that night. CBS Sunday commentaries, I get a little fulfillment out of that. You know, I get the fulfillment from that. You know, it's nice. When's your next tour? 
I'm always touring, kind of always going on. I'm uh, I'm taping a special in uh, uh, Tampa in mid-February. Um, what will that air on? What's, what's what streaming platform will that be on? I think Netflix. I you know it's with going back to our initial conversation. I don't know where these streamers are. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? It's yeah. like you know. Um, you know, this will be my 10th comedy special. I don't know. I mean, I didn't know that I would do one comedy special, but uh, it is also really fun and rewarding, that process. Yeah, I mean, you, you know? do all these things. It's like, you know, you're the voice of Van Helsing in Hotel Transylvania. And like, th these are cool things that I've always wanted to do. And people always, because you do a lot of voice and you write books. And you, is it something that you get... Do you just get bored and go, eh, I want to try something different. Oh, I'll be successful as an author. Eh, I get bored. I'm going to be, cause you do so many things and you're successful at them. It's sort of like, you know, what can't you do? Or is there something you want to do oh that you gosh, haven't tapped so in? Nice, what, what, what would you do? Yeah. What else would you want to do? I mean, there is, I just think that like directing that that's too much. That's too lot. much work. It's a lot. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I do. I did want to, uh, write a book but i think it's again that's i i don't want to get caught up in other people's expectations i just want to that creative fulfillment i want to i mean i definitely would love to play um a variety of different characters you know what i mean like i want to you know there's all these voices in my head i want them to have life and they you know will I mean? they will they absolutely will look uh we're gonna finish this but like you know a few years ago you were the most popular comic on pandora with 647 million spins i don't even know how that's possible dude uh that it's remarkable and you have millions of followers uh you were the 25 funniest people on twitter you're like one of the top comics every year you're hilarious. You stick to your guns. You do, you know, a lot of people will go to dirty comedy and very, uh, you know, you stick to what you do and you don't stray. And that to me is incredible on its own, because even back then when things weren't going the way you wanted, I'm sure you thought, well, maybe I should, I need a few more F bombs in here. You know, yeah. no, it's like, it's yeah. I mean, authenticity, personal authenticity, not is, it's you know it takes a while for people to you know know themselves you know what i mean and it's ongoing that's what's also so amazing about stand up is you know you're learning more about yourself and you're also i mean this stuff this special and this tour i'm much more sarcastic uh, and probably darker you know than i have been but but that's what's also, I think, so fun about stand-up is the relationship you have with an audience. It is a friendship, and you have to challenge. What we love about conversations with friends is that it's never the same conversation. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. Do you ever, uh, on stage while you're doing a special, doing stand-up, really crack yourself up? Like, Because it's, it's routine. You know the routine. But does something ever get you where you just can't stop laughing? Not can't stop laughing, but there is something about, and I would say there are what's so there, there's a lot of moments on stage, particularly when you're developing uh, a topic or a joke where words come out of your mouth that you didn't plan on. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Where, 
and some of that, it's like the audience should get a writing credit, really. You know what I mean? It's it's kind of like it kind of comes out. That's why, uh, you know, it is so fun and so rewarding. There is just lightning strike. And sometimes it's a tag. Sometimes it's which is just like a joke, a line after a joke. But there's, you know, there is some kind of stuff that happens on stage. So it is written, but it's there's a lot of moments in that written that just came out. Do you still get nervous? Yeah, I think not as not as dramatically nervous as I used to be. But yeah, if I wasn't a little nervous, I'd be in trouble. And some of it is because I'm always working on new stuff. You know, there's an unspoken agreement that if people are coming to a show of stand up, that it's new material. So, right. yeah. Uh, Linoleum is the movie. I watched this movie at eight this morning and freaking loved it. Uh, if you haven't seen Jim Gaffigan in a dramatic role and he's done some dramatic roles, you're going to be just blown away by this. I really am, am proud of you. I'm happy for you. I, I, I love that you're doing what you do, what you love. And, uh, you know, you're a family man and you've stuck to your guns and you deserve all the success, man. So linoleum, it's are you going to the Palm Springs? Is that where you're at now? I'm here right now. Yeah. And have you already screened it? No. Tonight. Are you nervous? <laughs> no, I mean, we've had it at a couple festivals. People like it. It's uh, yeah. So it's it's exciting. I love it. It's touching. It's mysterious, thought provoking. You guys are going to love this. Look for it. And at Jim Gaffigan, is that your handle? Yes. Yes. Follow this man, watch his specials, read his books, and Linoleum is awesome. Thanks for finally coming on, man. I really had a of good course. time with you. I'm glad this worked out. Thank you yeah, so much. Me too. All right. Take care, Appreciate Jim. It. Take care. See ya. Bye. Well, there you go. I mean, he's been around for a while. It's crazy how big he's gotten. Yeah, and he doesn't do the dirty as stuff. A, as a comedian, I don't mean like a size as a person, but yeah. All oh, right, 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 right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's... he's <laughs> But uh, no, he's huge, and uh, it, just by being himself, and he's um, garnered a following, and he's able to do these cool movies. Yeah, it's a cool life, I think. This is a cool life, and he's doing it all. Mm -hmm. He's you know between writing and producing and um, acting and the comedy and having a family. He's like you know you always say, how do these people navigate? How do they sort of balance? And I'm sure it's not easy at all. And I look around, I'm like, how do I even? function <laughs> doing one thing but uh hey i appreciate you guys listening and again uh if you want to join patreon to support the podcast patreon.com slash uh inside of you uh i would love if you joined and i will respond to you eventually on there and um i'll you'll definitely become a somebody i'll know we give shout outs to patrons and uh what else head over to the inside of you online store to get some awesome merch, autograph merch, ship keys, Lexmas scripts, uh, lunch boxes, and a bunch of other cool stuff like tumblers and whatnot. I've given most of my free shit to Ryan. And um, so <laughs> I have I, enough tumblers. Yeah, you have it. You've got enough tumblers. I think you have a tumbler from, I mean, yeah, you do. Uh, that's really it. I just want to give the shout outs to these top tier um, patrons and uh just want to tell you i appreciate you listening and hopefully you'll be back next week we're going to try and bring the great guests to you doing my best and um hopefully you are so here we go nancy d leah s sarah v little lisa yukiko jill e brian h nico p robert b jason w sophie m Kristen k raj c joshua 
D. Jennifer N. Stacy L. Jamal F. Janelle B. Mike E. Eldon Supremo. Ninety nine more. Santiago M. Chad W. Leanne P. Janine R. Maya P. Maddie S. Belinda N. Dave H. Sheila G. Brad D. Ray Harada. Tabitha T. Tom N. Correct. Liliana A. Correct. Talia M. Betsy D. Chad L. Dan N. Big Stevie W. Angel M. Rhiannon C. Corey K. Dev Nexon. Michelle A. Jeremy C. Brandy D. Camille S. Correct. Joni B. Joey M. Eugene N. Leah. Corey. Heather L. Jake B. Megan T. Angel F. Mel C. S. S. Orlando C. Correct. Caroline R, Christine S, Eric H, Shane R, Emma R, Andrew M, Zadoichi 77, Andreas, Andreas N, Oracle, Karina N, Amanda R, Jen B, Kevin E, Stephanie K, Jorel, Billy S, Jam and J, Leanne J, Luna R, Cindy E, Mike F, Stone H, Miss S, Brian L, Katie B, Aaron B, Aaron R, Aaron R, Kendall L, House of Joe L, Meredith I, and Charlene C. Those are the top tier pa- patrons. I can't do it without you. And uh, we just did a um, live YouTube with all the patrons. And it was great. And I played music and we talked and it was, they asked me questions and that's another perk. And I have to do a big, you know, I have to do with my top tier patrons again soon is a, um, a Zoom hmm. with all of them. Oh. So sometimes they do that and it's fun. So it's a good time. Um, that's about it, Ryan. You got anything? uh not today no no all right well well that's it really yeah we had a great guest today that we interviewed it wasn't the one that aired obviously jim gaffigan was great they've all been good honestly all the recent ones yeah i think they're uh they're good i just hope people tune in even if they don't know the person Mm -hmm. or care about the person i mean if you hate the person i think you should listen anyway because you might like them after there's one coming up that i'm looking forward to that we both got a lot out of if you could think of guy or girl uh a female person Rachel Lee Cook. That was good. There's a lot of them. Yeah, there's a lot. I don't want to say because we'll give it away. All right. We're excited. We love you uh, from the Hollywood Hills in uh, Hollywood, California. I am Michael Rosenbaum. I am Ryan Taylor here at the Hollywood Hills. (laughs) We love you guys. Uh, Please be good to yourselves, and uh, we'll see you next week. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.